Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, hello. Welcome along to Writer's Routine, the award-winning Writer's Routine, actually. More about that in just a sec. First, I want to tell you all about the fantastic guest that we've got on the show today. Sophie Jenkins will publish her debut novel, The Forgotten Guide to Happiness, in a couple of months' time. And this week, she'll tell us a bit about how she wrote it. Now, it's a romantic comedy. Now, interestingly, though, the writing of it wasn't always as funny and quirky as the final story. A little bit more stressful, really, as her agent didn't actually like the original idea. So Sophie had to almost reinvent about 90% of the first draft. Uh, We talk about how she started that in a little bit also we find out how well she knows her characters and whether they could exist outside of her story and we chat about the compromise between storytelling and book selling and we find out what she says when she's told she needs to change most of the book to sell a few more copies (laughs) okay (laughs) that's it really because she's selling it isn't she and she's seeing the book as a product I don't know what I see. She sees the book as a product and she knows what will sell better than I do because it's her job. (laughs) So that's why I would always trust, trust her judgment over mine. So stay there. We'll be back with Sophie Jenkins and the final standings at this year's British Podcast Awards next. Yes, hello there. Welcome along. My name is Dan Simpson. This is Another Writer's Routine. It's the show where we have a look at the teeny tiny intricacies of an author's working day and their daily ritual in the hope that we can learn some tricks and tips to help our own work. Uh, Now, before we get started, uh, a quick apology. I'm recording in my lounge today, so it might be a bit more echoey than usual, what with all the walls and the tables all over the place. I have tried to take some steps to prevent that. I've got pillows and duvets all over the place to try and absorb the sound but I think it's just ended up making me look like I'm preparing for the zombie apocalypse I don't know if it'll have any impact in the final show I guess we'll have to wait and see now before we get into today's guest Sophie Jenkins I got big news on Saturday, the 19th of May, uh, I went down to the British Podcast Awards in London, surrounded by tons of other fantastic podcasts with their vast teams behind them. You know, producers, editors, publishers, social media bods. And, well, this show, it's just me, really. 
which I guess is why some of the editing is occasionally a little bit scratchy. And the Twitter and Instagram posts don't always happen on time. It really is just me. So to even be nominated in the first place was a huge honour. Um, Mark Kermode, Simon Mayo were there, putting up yet more gongs for Wittertainment. Uh, Fern Cotton was there for a little bit. Loads of people from Radio 1, 2, 4, Radio X there. And then there was just me who sticks a microphone in front of an author's face over a cup of coffee every now and then, asks them really annoying questions um, about whether they write with a pen, whether they are on their laptop, what time they wake up in the morning. And we managed to walk out with the Silver Award in the Best Culture category. Unbelievable. Silver. And there's all those other brilliant podcasts that have been nominated. Uh, Silver, though, um, not quite gold. We're kind of the Leonardo DiCaprio, I guess, of the UK cultural podcast scene. But think about it. In the end, Leo finally got his Oscar. So who knows? Maybe we'll get gold next year. Do I sound begrudging? I don't mean to sound begrudging. Silver is unbelievable. Massive well done as well to the Two Shot Podcast and Literary Friction, who picked up gold and bronze. And thanks as well to the British Podcast Awards, simply for nominating me in the first place. But most of all, a massive thanks to you. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for telling other people to listen to if you have. I'm just amazed at the interests that something so niche and geeky as the daily routines of writers is getting. But there you are. And now remember, if you want to tell other people how much you enjoy the show, uh, the best place to do that is over on the iTunes podcast store, because that way you can let people that you don't know all about the show. It's so simple. Open up iTunes, find Writer's Routine and leave us a review. Right. Enough self-sycophancy. Let's get on with it. Our guest sharing her writer's routine today is Sophie Jenkins. Now, Sophie, she's always been around words. She wrote stories when she was young. She worked as a journalist. She even went back to study creative writing as a proper master's degree and everything. Now, her debut novel is a romantic comedy. It's called The Forgotten Guide to Happiness, following Lana Green, who doesn't need friends, apparently, only her books. And then you get Nancy Ellis Hall added to the mix, who was once a celebrated writer, now a lonely 80-year-old, and they end up sharing a house. And thus, the story begins. It wasn't always going to be like that, though. Uh, Originally, Sophie had a whole different story, only for a conversation with her agent to change everything. So we'll find out why she was perfectly happy to do that, to rewrite 90% of her work as well in the chat. Also, we talk about her characters, getting to know them, whether they could exist in real life and how she plans them and what they're going to do. And also, strangely, we find out why John Richardson, you know, the comic who's on Channel 4 a lot, does the 8 out of 10 cats thing. uh, He played a surprisingly big role in telling her story. We'll also get a top writing tip that may change the way you work forever. Today it's from a thriller author who wants to dispel all the romantic notions of novel writing than you might have. That's on the way in just a sec. First, let's hear from Sophie Jenkins, today's guest, the author of the romantic comedy, The Forgotten Guide to Happiness, all about her writer's routine. So I get up, have a coffee, have a ginseng which for some reason I think helps the brain, but it doesn't necessarily. And then I start writing, and I used to not get dressed, but this is something that I discuss with my friends who are writers. So one of them always gets dressed and puts all the clothes on because she's ready for the day, and one doesn't even get out of bed. So I'm kind of in the middle, which 
I put my dressing gown on, then I start writing. And I stay writing till I've done my thousand words. That's if I'm making it up for the first time. If it's editing, I usually give myself so many words, so many pages to edit. So I'll give myself a target of 20, maybe. So that's, um, then I knock off. I can either knock off when I've done my thousand words, or if I'm editing, I knock off when I've done my pages. And then the rest of the day is admin. So a thousand words, how long would you expect that to take you? If everything was going well, if all your ideas were bubbling over and coming out as they should, a thousand words, how long do you reckon? Best day would be I'd finish about two. And then the worst day I'd still be doing it five or six. (laughs) Yeah. So um, you've got your, your, your debut novel out here. I've got the cover in front of me, The Forgotten Guide to Happiness. Talk to me about the first moment that the idea for this came into your mind. Um, it wasn't quite as simple as that because I wrote a completely different book from this one and when my agent read it, she liked one character in it. She didn't like the hero, so I had to get rid of him. She didn't like the friends in it. I had to get rid of them. Oh, she liked one character, which is the the older character in the book. So she allowed me to keep her and one of the other characters and I had to come up with a completely different book to fit those characters in. Well, let's talk about the difference between the two then. I think that's quite yeah. a, a fascinating line to take. So talk to me about the book that this once was when you handed it to your agent. What was the very first idea and the plot for that one before you had had to ditch almost all of it well, um, because your agent said so? Funny enough, I had a look at it yesterday and it wasn't quite as I'd imagined it, but it was basically that this girl who was a journalist fell in love with a man who was illiterate and she wrote a book about him and she gave it to him and then he went off and she thought it was because of the book but he had never read the book so that was basically my story but then my agent said you can't have an illiterate hero <laughs> so that's why I had to get rid of him <laughs> why, why would your agent say that As in, what, what is it that doesn't appeal about an illiterate hero well it didn't appeal to her because I suppose I think intellectually she felt they wouldn't be compatible. That was my only feeling. Oh, maybe I just didn't write him very well. <laughs> but anyway, I had to had to get rid of him. When you're almost starting again, yeah. When you've got yes. uh, the person that the, the lady who your agent says, "Well, we like her. We can yes. carry her over." Yes. How are you starting again? <laughs> How are you almost reworking something that's taken you months and months to put down? What's the very first thing that you do in that process? Um. Well, I just took what she she let me keep, and and then invented a whole new story I I wrote it out in longhand I thought well I I know the elements she likes and it was supposed to be a romantic comedy so kind of knew it could still be a bit funny and then I put her in it as a punishment (laughs) (laughs) uh, you you say it quite simplistically there isn't it's just well I just rewrote the story (laughs) but the, the the point of the show is we're trying to get to the nub of how you did that so how are you re how are you plotting this how are you how are you planning when, when you're trying to rewrite eighty thousand words of a novel well i think when you start out being a writer you people do want changes the publisher wants changes and the agent wants changes and then 
if you have friends who are writers and you or, or belong to a writing group, they they suggest changes. So there's more than one way to, to tell a story, isn't there? That's that's what I think. And it's just inventing it. I'll try this. Oh, and then you reinvent it. You can try something else. I like to know how it starts and I like to know how it ends. And that's all I need to know because then it's a matter of getting from the beginning to the end of the story and just making it up as you go along. But recently, about, well, recently, about a year ago, I started using voice recognition software. And that speeded me up a lot. And that makes it easier to tell a story, I think. So instead of being a writer, it's almost like being a storyteller that you can just stand by the computer or sit by it and just talk the story. I don't think I've chatted to an author who's used voice recognition like this. So we'll come back to that in just yes. a sec. You say you need to know the beginning, yes. you need to know the end. Yes. You make stuff up as you're going along. Yes. Do you have any clue where your characters are going to take you on this route that they're driving you on? I have a rough idea, but I've heard other writers say that their characters sort of take on their own lives but my characters don't really ever do that so after I've done a couple of chapters I might have to sit down get my notepad out and and then think well where do they go from here because I don't I don't always know and sometimes you just have to be logical in storytelling don't you because I have sometimes got a tendency to think right I'll leave that and I'll jump somewhere else and then I'll find doesn't (laughs) doesn't really lead anywhere so there's always a few well more than a few dead ends. So I might end up with a book of sort of 120,000 words and then it gets cut back to about (laughs) 72 or something because it's just so much is not relevant. So when your agent came to you and said, we need to change 80% of this story, what's your initial (laughs) thought there? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's it really. Because she's selling it, isn't she? And she's seeing the book as a product. I don't know what I see it as. She sees the book as a product and she knows what will sell better than I do because it's her job. <laughs> so that's why I would always trust her judgment over mine. And then it's the same with the publishers. When they tell me to change it, it's like, yeah, you can have what you want because you're going to be selling it. <laughs> so you're quite wise to the fact then. Now, I know that although this is your, your, your debut novel with Sophie Jenkins, you've been around words for a long time. Yes. Have you... Are you writing to sell books or are you just telling your story in the hope that there will be an audience that want to hear this? Um, I think I mostly write to get my thoughts in order because uh, I do a lot of (laughs) thinking and if I'm not writing, I'm so unfocused and I don't get anything done but when I'm writing I'm focused on the writing and then once I've got that out of the way I can carry on with the rest of the things that I want to do it sort of clears my head in an odd way to write so I don't write for the money but once you start doing it for money in other words showing your agent or showing a publisher then you have to think like them don't you really When I met the editor for the first time, one of the first things she asked me was, would I be willing to change anything? And I said, oh, yeah, (laughs) anything. And she said, oh, good. She said, because not everybody likes to change their their work. 
you can make a story out of anything, can't you? So I would never not change anything that somebody wanted changing. So we, we've spoken about how your agent didn't like what this once was. And, yeah. and we've spoken about you, the initial idea for the very first plot you had for what it was. Yes. What, what, what is this about then? What, what, what has it become? So it, it was once about um, the journalist with the illiterate man. Yeah. How did you move that forward? So, well, I got rid of him entirely. And then I came up with a new hero who obviously wasn't illiterate. I gave him his own company to prove it. And, um, and then he fell in love. Well, he didn't fall in love. He was slightly against love. But he offered to be the fake hero for this uh, heroine who's a writer. So she's looking for a hero for, his, for her book. And he said he would pretend to be a hero because he didn't really want to commit himself <laughs> he's quite happy going on the dates and stuff when you say you only know the beginning and the end and your characters take you along the way you yeah. must need to know your characters both the lady who's the journalist and now your hero who's going to take her on dates inside out how are you getting to know these characters how are you fleshing them out how are you brainstorming that? yeah well i think it's like getting to know a person in real life you know them superficially and then when you reread it you know them a bit better and it's just you slowly get to know them more the more you write the book the longer you write the book so from the first draft I normally have to do I would I think three or four but for this because it started off differently I've probably got seven versions of it um but each time you get to know you get to know the character a bit better (laughs) you understand why they do or, or you invent a reason for them doing what they're doing even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've got a top writing tip from a crime author all about why you need to ditch the drink, you need to ban the booze, you need to hang up the hangovers in just a sec. 
First, uh, it's a quick reminder, actually, of all the ways that you can keep across the show. We are on Twitter. It's Writers Pod on there. You can get updates from what we're doing, who I'm interviewing, and it's probably the best way to get a nice, speedy response and quite smug retweet, if you fancy that as well. Also, we're on Instagram, where you can get glossy, filtered, motivational quotes from all our authors uh, to keep you going. If you are writing, if you're working on something creative as well, just follow Writers Routine on there. And as always, you can find us online at Writers routine.com on there you can get in touch with the show you can find all of the ways to hear us and you can catch up with any episode that you miss right it's time for this week's writing tip that may change the way you work forever today it's from the debut thriller author james buckler and when james isn't writing he freelances in the film and tv world so he knows all about the nuts and the bolts of simple storytelling now his first novel last stop tokyo it's out right now it tells the story of a man who has run away to japan and he meets the elusive and mysterious naoko uh, before his past catches up with him and he has to run away even more And for his tip, he wants to dispel all romantic notions of novel writing and explain why you need to give up the drink, at least on writing days. Hi, I'm James Buckler, and my novel Last Stop Tokyo is uh, out in paperback in May. I hope you read it. I hope you enjoy it. My one writing tip, don't mix writing and drinking. The idea of the writer as a hard-drinking party animal or a kind of Hemingway-esque or Bukowski-esque writer is a complete myth. Make sure that your writing days start with an absolutely clear head. Don't take anything harder than coffee. And uh, it's all about hard work. It's definitely not about drinking whiskey. If you enjoyed that, please do have a listen to the last episode of the show to hear the full chat with James Buckler. And it's especially good if you're interested in the sheer mechanics of writing a book, of ditching all those thoughts you may had about how brilliant it will be to be a writer, to work when you fancy and just getting your story read. He can really help you with that. Uh, That is on Writer's Routine number 30 with James Buckler, the author of Last Stop Tokyo. Let's get back then to part two of this week's guest. Sophie Jenkins is the author of the brand new romantic comedy, The Forgotten Guide to Happiness. It's out later on this year. The start of August, I think, is when that's being released. We'll have all the details on our Twitter and online when it is, though. It's all about Lana Green, who is only interested in her books. And about Nancy Ellis Hall as well, who was once a celebrated writer. Now she's a lonely 80-year-old and they end up sharing a house and they have a lot of fun while they're doing it too. Now you can hear why she studied creative writing and what effect that had on telling her own stories in just a sec. Also, uh, how she makes sure that her romantic comedies are just that. Very funny and full of love. And we pick things up with more about how and why she had to change her entire story at the drop of a hat and how the compromise that you make between telling your tale and making sure that it works for the publisher is part of your job and it really needs to be embraced. All writers, when they've written a version of it, they think, this is brilliant. And then when when somebody says, oh, that doesn't work, they think, oh, no, it doesn't work. You know, it's sometimes you just can't see it yourself. They can see it, but you can't see it. But once it's been pointed out, you think, oh, yeah, I'll change it for the better. You always think you're going to change it for the better, and it is for the better. All the changes that I've made have improved it. And I don't know if I would have got away with an illiterate hero, but... 
I think it was probably a good call, you know, to get rid of him. <laughs> when you're planning your characters then, um, and, and you say that you, you know, you're learning more about them each time you're writing them, is that the only way that you are learning who they are? Or are you sitting down, have you got like little fact files? Have you got any just, I'm, I'm curious as to the techniques and the tips that you use as a writer to know the characters that are existing solely in your head? It's good to give them a tick of some sort, I think. And on the book that I've just handed in, um, I was thinking of John Richardson. You know, he's really, he's on um, Eight Out of Ten Cats. And he's kind of... And I thought, oh, this guy, he could be a bit like him. Like, he could carry a flask around with him, which is not really romantic, is it? Does John Richardson do that? <laughs> you know, I bet he does. Okay. <laughs> just had him in my mind. But generally, it's just... Um, yeah, it's just a matter of coming up with somebody that I feel I would get on with if I were to meet them in a pub. So what does the tick say about the character then? Let's expand on this. Mm. If you saw someone on this street right now, just where you live, <laughs> carrying a flask, what do you think that says about the person? If you had to paint a complete picture in your head of that man with his flask, yes. what would he look like? Um, well, he'd his hair would be nice and neatly combed and he'd probably have... Uh, backpack to put his flask in and he would have planned it in advance so he's obviously forward thinking and he probably doesn't want to waste money on buying a disposable cup all that kind of thing kind of builds up a picture doesn't it a flask (laughs) is he educated yes fully literate yes fully literate (laughs) do you think he's got a wife and children at home I don't think he's got a wife. I don't think she would let him carry the flask, do you? <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just fascinating that we can get so deep in, into someone just, just through one item. So let's talk about your, your, your heroine then, the journalist. Yes. What did you know about her before you started writing this book? What picture in your mind did you have of her and her tics? Um, she was a bit... Of a loner, um, and she had a tendency to be a bit rude to people, a bit abrasive, but that's probably a good quality in a journalist, isn't it? You have to be quite thick-skinned, I imagine. Um, That's really, that was my starting point, and then she sort of softened and grew a bit more friendly and uh, just a bit more sociable as the book goes on. And are you thinking about how she's going to grow before you start writing? Um, Yes, I'm always aware. When I have the beginning of the book and the end of the book, I'm always aware that there needs to be some growth or else you kind of think, what's the point, don't you? If somebody doesn't change a bit (laughs) after this adventure that they've had. Are you, are you thinking about how they complement each other? Do, do they exist as characters in their own right, or are they solely designed to be a part of this relationship that you're telling in the story? Like, if, if yeah. your hero with the <laughs> flask is shy, retiring, a little bit quirky, are you then deliberately making your journalist heroine be, be, be the opposite of that, just to let them complement each yeah. other? no. And I'm not sure that's a good thing, but I don't tend to do that. They tend to be definitely two individuals. 
And I think that's where I get the conflict from, from them being individuals rather than two people who are immediately in love. Because it doesn't seem to really work like that in real life, does it? You have to get to know a person. And then I think you have to like them. Then you have to go off them a bit, don't you? And then you kind of see their good points again, hopefully. Or sometimes you just stay off them, in which case you don't write about them. <laughs> I do tend to see the funny side of things. And so it's easy to write about. Even if I was trying not to be funny, I think I would still have to put the funny bits in because just that's the way I think. And I can't really get rid of that. <laughs> if I was... If I was writing a crime... I did write a crime novel, and even that came out a bit funny, and it wasn't published. But um, I think that's just a natural part of my personality that comes out on paper. How much do you have to think about the jokes that you're putting into this, though? Is there any moment where you're like, yeah, this needs to be a bit funnier, let's put a, let's put a joke, let's put some slapstick, for instance, in it? Um, I haven't got any jokes in it, but... Yeah, there was one bit where... The um, heroine, she introduces her, the love of her life to this old lady and the old lady slams his head in the door. And it's not intrinsically funny, but I just like the thought of it. And then he gets really cross, of course. And then she offers him a brandy to recover. And then he says, you never give alcohol to somebody with a head injury. And she's like, leave him now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I did enjoy writing that. There's so many romantic comedy novels and especially films, TV shows out. How much inspiration are you taking from those and how different do you want your story to be from those as you publish this debut? Um, I think I take a lot from them and I have to... Um, be careful that I don't steal anything because sometimes I'll think, oh my goodness, I've done that. And it's, but I don't think it's anything anybody else would know. But if I see it myself, I think, oh, I, did, I wasn't the first person to have that idea. But that's, that's just really a reflection of the times, isn't it? We've all got the same issues going on in our lives and the same ideas about things. And that's just an occupational hazard, I think. Let's talk about the, the, the title, the forgotten, the forgotten Guide to Happiness. You said that there's no hill you're prepared to die on, that you're perfectly willing to pass your story up to the publisher and see what they want. Yes. Was, it, was this your own idea? Was this the working title? No. My working title was called Heartbreak Ridge, <laughs> the Clint Eastwood film. So publishers came up with that, and I'm very happy with it. I, yeah, I do have to say, I would... And more likely to pick up <laughs> the Forgotten Guide to Happiness, I think, than, than Heartbreak Ridge. Again, it's something about the word happiness, isn't it? Yes. It does just make it stick out. It makes me want to pick it up and yes. read it. Um, you studied prose writing, didn't you? Didn't you I did, a... yes. I did an MA in it. But you had written before to a standard, not to the standard that you're at now. Why did you decide to go back and take a master's? And what... What did you wanted to learn by doing this that you couldn't just have discovered yourself by sitting down in front of your computer? Um, I've always gone to writing groups and I had done a course at City University and you got CATS credits for that. I kind of fancied a certificate or something. So the next step was the MA. So I took the MA just basically to have a certificate because I quite like that kind of thing. <laughs> 
And what did they teach you? What did you learn on the MA? Well, we read a lot of books that I would never have read otherwise, which is, that was quite exciting to read other, to read, read books that I didn't understand that well. And um, we were taught to think critically. And, um, and, I, and I made some good friends. So I don't know how it's informed my writing. And I, I think it probably hasn't actually informed my writing at all. But it has broadened my um, library. Even the, the critical thinking aspect of it. How, how are you taught to, to think critically in terms of creative writing? Well, you had to look at basically an aspect of the book that you either would disagree with or agree with and then discuss what the author's intentions were, as you saw it, and whether they succeeded. So that was, that was quite nice doing that, getting inside the writer's head. But, I mean, it could, it could have just been made up, couldn't it? It could be like me, the author just did it because the publisher said. Well, I always wondered that in when I did English, at, I think I stopped doing it at A-level, when they're talking about the author's intention behind every single word. So let's critically examine this book then, yeah. The Forgotten Guide to Happiness. What was your intention when you started writing it? Uh, to write something that was moving was my intention to start with. Do you think you managed to do that? Yes, but not through the way that I originally intended, because I thought it was quite moving if somebody was with somebody who couldn't read and didn't know it, but because that went by the board, I had to find another way to do it. That is it for this week then. Massive thank you to Sophie Jenkins for telling us all about how she wrote her brand new novel, uh, her debut, The Forgotten Guide to Happiness. Yeah, it's out at the start of August. I'm fairly certain. I'll let you know more when I can, though. And if you want to find out more about her, we've got all the best links to her stuff over at writersroutine.com. And while you're there, you can catch up with any show uh, that we've done so far. You can hear everything that you may have missed in any way that you fancy, and you can get in touch with us too. Also, to do that, please give us a follow over on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Writers Routine there, and you can get daily motivation to help with your creative work whenever you fancy. And also, the most important thing that you can do if you enjoyed any of the 31 shows that we have done so far is to leave us a review in the iTunes podcast or if you've learned any little bit of advice little tidbit a little tip from one of the authors please get over there find writer's routine and leave us a review now next time we'll be back with one of the UK's most famous crime writers Mark Billingham and that chat is a lot of fun it's a very good long rambly chat I promise you don't want to miss it with Mark Billingham next time on Writer's Routine. I'll see you then. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 